Okay, then moving on together to Luke chapter 11. And uh, if you've seen in advance the, the verses and so on, it's uh, these verses that we heard read and then picking up some other parables that Jesus told a few chapters on in Luke chapter 18 also uh, to deal with prayer. The drumbeat then of this series, what's kind of beating all of the time? The drumbeat is this, that to be a disciple is to be a learner. Someone who's learning to do what Jesus does. Someone who's learning to be who Jesus is. What Jesus has called us into is a life of learning. And it's here reminded for us in these verses when the disciples come to Jesus and say to Jesus, teach us. We recognize our position, our role, our responsibility as a disciple and we're asking you to teach us. So the question that I'm asking myself as I come to these verses uh, this morning and uh, I'm asking you to think about is this. What's the Lord teaching you? Like now, at the moment, in these last few days, in this last week or this last six months, or, or whatever you choose, uh, uh, what's, what's current with you and the Lord in terms of what he's teaching you because you are a disciple? If he's not teaching you anything, then there are, there are two kind of choices, two categories for us perhaps to reflect upon. The first is that we've learned everything that we need to have learnt. Okay, so if some of you are comfortable with that, you can just settle with that for a moment. And then there's the rest of us, all of us. If we're struggling to articulate what it is that Jesus is teaching us, we are not living as a disciple. Would that be true? Or to use different language for a moment, which is rather alarming, if we are not being taught something at the moment, we are not living as a Christian. True? A Christ follower, one of Christ. To follow means that I'm learning to be and to do everything that Jesus is. If I'm not learning, then I'm not living as as a Christian. I find that hugely challenging. And if there's a loophole in that, then let's expose it. But I haven't found it yet. And sometimes I wish I could. What are you learning? What is the Lord teaching you? And remember, it's learning about life. We might be able to answer that question and say, well, at the moment, I'm learning all about the book of Galatians. Now, that would be a fantastic thing to be doing. Don't misunderstand me. I'm learning all about the history of the Old Testament. I'm learning about all the different ways that people have thought and understood the cross. All of those are very important and and brilliant things. But the learning that Jesus is calling you and me to is one that changes our lives. It is for nothing if I learn about the freedom of Galatians and yet I am not living free. It means nothing if I understand everything about how God worked in history and how the people of the Old Testament are examples and warnings and how God was faithful and how God worked salvation through if I do not know God's faithfulness in the here and now. I'm not being taught. 
I'm not living as a Christian, a, a follower, growing into Christ. It doesn't matter if I understand all the theories about the cross, if the cross doesn't change my life every day. So what's the Lord teaching you just now? As I read these verses, I resonate with them in Luke chapter 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It resonates with me because I've been sharing with, uh, well, I've shared from here on a Sunday in different places. I've been writing about from time to time in my blog. I'm in a season of, of the Lord teaching me to pray in a new way. A season of crying out like those disciples did. I can, as they saw him praying, can you imagine? They're seeing Jesus praying and it's just so different from their prayers. That's not too hard to imagine, is it? And they see how Jesus lived this life so different from theirs and so different from all the rabbis that were faffing about there and then strutting their stuff and their academic education and their pompous religiosity. So different. And they see him praying and they can see that in those moments there is something going on with Jesus that makes the difference for every moment. And they cry out to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. I feel like I am in that kind of place, that kind of season. A mighty gulf between who he is and the way I am. Lord, teach me to pray. And I want to share just a a couple of of, of things as to why I feel that I'm in this season. Because I just sense that it will be helpful for us uh, this morning. I'm in this season because... I'm learning to do less and achieve more. And you've heard me talk about this as well. You see, most people need to do less. We're too busy. We're too pressured. And often, because we're too busy and too pressured, we don't spend the right amount of time doing the right kind of things. So we lament, I haven't got enough time for my spouse, or for my children, or for my parents, or for my friends, or whoever it might be. There's that friend that I'm longing to catch up with, and I haven't managed to do it yet. There's that meeting that we've promised ourselves, that day out together that we said that we'll do, that break that we'll take, but it keeps eluding us because we're too busy. We don't have time. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about? And so in your diary, you go, you see someone, you say, we must meet up. And you go, oh, I can't do anything before Easter. You know, you're twitching even as you get your diary out because it's, you know. What kind of, what is this? The Prozac generation, too stressed, too overwhelmed to do the things that we know bring us alive and make us truly human. That's certainly true in churches, isn't it? In Every church I've ever known, those that I've been part of and those I've observed, talk to those who are at the core, and they will say, there's not enough time, and there's not enough people. We're too stretched, and we've been too stretched for too long. I grew up in a really small church, and it was exactly the same as it is in this church, that some people will describe as a bigger church. Same issue. We need to do 
less. But we're painfully aware, I'm painfully aware, that we need to achieve more. Our profits are down, perilously down. In most churches and in our church, more people die usually in the previous 12 months than new people come to faith in Christ for the first time. That's a red balance sheet, isn't it? I'd like to get those figures to add up differently. And maybe you do this with all your accounts. You shift money around a lot so no one knows you haven't got any. That's just me then, obviously. We shift, you know, and it's like in churches, we're shifting people around a bit. People are moving around and we're shifting the, the, the chairs around and it looks like it's all okay. But is it really? Most people, more people go to glory in 12 months than come to Christ for the first time. And so we're in the red. And we're acutely aware that that can't go on. And so we buy into the spirit of the age that says, well, if that's the case, we must do something about it, so we must do more. And so I'm going to get stuck in. I'm going to give another few hours. I'm going to take up a new responsibility. I'm going to ram that meeting into my schedule as well. I'm going to make sure I do that. And it's more and more. And we're back with our sticker chart. Remember that, everybody? If only I can get a few more stickers on my sticker chart, if I can try a bit harder, then the heavens will open and something will change. Well, we've been putting stickers on our sticker chart for a long time in church life. You see, we do need to do less. And we're painfully aware that we need to choose to achieve more. And then you see the life of Jesus. In comparison, he seemed pretty calm. In contrast to our lives, he had time for impromptu things, spontaneous things, like a a meal with Zacchaeus. Jesus had time to hang around the well, to stop in the middle of his day for the people that God was bringing to him, whatever was going on in that day. He had more than enough time to invest in his father from which everything else would flow. He had time to say the odd single word prayer. It's hard to find a long prayer from Jesus in the asking sense. Lazarus come out is not a long prayer. Be opened is not a hugely complex linguistical phrase. He seemed to have enough time just to touch somebody for a moment and for that touch to be life-changing and enough time to share the odd funny story and humorous joke about camels and needles and other humorous things that are way more funny in the original language than they are when they get translated into English. And once in a while he'd sit down and tell a few quirky stories as well. What does it mean when you start telling stories? means you're relaxed. And what happened? You see, Jesus seems to do way less than most of us. Way less. And yet people were saved. People were healed. A movement that is still changing the world was beginning. Now that's impressive by anyone's standards. And it was nothing to do with doing more. 
And so the disciples, seeing something so different, they say to Jesus, Lord, you've got to teach us to pray. They, they saw that behind those moments was the source of something radically different. Different in pace. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. Different in demands. Jesus says, my yoke actually is easy. Different in results. I'll make you fishers of men. A different way of living. And they could see where it came from. And just in case they hadn't understood, as Jesus was leaving them just before he was to go to the cross, he said, you've got to understand this about the way that I've lived. Everything I do is actually not me. It's the Father doing it in me. It's the Father's word. It's the Father's action. It's the Father's rhythm. It's the Father. The Father living in me, doing his work. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the principal less is more that we see worked out in the life of Jesus. Needs to become worked out in our lives. And so Jesus said, okay, this is the deal. Come, follow me. You can come even though you're weary and burdened and stressed out. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Talked about this recently, I think, didn't we, here? About the, the yoke being what they talked about, a, a rabbi having a, a yoke being a way of life, symbolic of a way of life, but using the metaphor of the ox. And a young ox would be yoked, with a wooden yoke, to an older, more mature ox, so that the young ox would be forced not to rush ahead at the beginning of the day with plowing the field, because by lunchtime the ox would be exhausted and good for nothing. But the young ox needed to learn to work the field with the rhythm of the older ox. Jesus is saying you need to live your life with the rhythm of my life. What needed to happen for the young ox, though, was that the young ox needed to be broken So that the yoke that was attached would force this young ox to learn to go at the older ox's rhythm. Jesus is saying, come to me and allow your rhythm to be broken and you will discover that actually my rhythm is easy and my burden is light compared to the rhythm that you live with just now. Now there's an offer. If you're prepared to be broken... The trouble is our pride gets in the way, our wanting to achieve things ourselves, our sense of our own busyness gets in the way, and we can so often throw off the yoke and keep going at our own pace. Take my yoke. Now notice the word at the, uh, towards the middle of the verse, third line down, and what? And learn from me. That's the discipleship mode. Learn. Learn to live this life. I need to learn the rhythm of the Father. And I don't know how to do that without asking Jesus again to teach me to pray. And don't misunderstand me, it's not that I don't pray or I can't pray. It's just that there's praying and there's praying, isn't there? And we're on a journey. Also feel called into this uh, season of learning to pray all over again. 
Because the struggles are not what we think. If you're leading something in church life, you will think your struggle is, as I alluded to earlier on, that we haven't got enough people on our team. (laughs) We probably haven't. You'll think your struggle is that people aren't committed enough. You might think that your struggle is that, well, if that person didn't leave or if that person joined us, then it would be all right. If only we had the right resources and the right opportunity. If only this didn't get in our way. All of those things might well be true. If you're trying to bring up your family with Christian values, you might think that your struggle is the relentless onslaught of the media, uh, which is insidiously infecting and infiltrating the mind and values and heart of the children that live in your home. You might think that your struggle is that there's no time anymore for us to be as a family. There's no time for uh, us to spend with the kids and the kids don't want to be with their parents anyway. And there's no time for you as a couple. And if only we, we get through this intense period of raising young children, then as a couple we'll be sailing away into the sunset again for the rest of our lives. That's a lie of the enemy. And more people break up when the kids leave than while the kids are at home. Because we live with these lies and we misunderstand the struggle. We misunderstand the battle that we're, that we're in. All these things might be true, but they're not the real struggle. For our real struggle is not against these things. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not about human things at the end of the day. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, the Bible says, of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That's the real struggle for this church. The real struggle for your life and mine. The real struggle for our families. We live in the grip of a godless age. We live in the grip of a world where people who foster and who worship the powers of darkness openly will pray against a Christian marriage and a Christian church. We live in a world that wants to see every value of Jesus crumble. And they do that ever so subtly. And one of the subtle ways that's happening in our age, in our secular culture, is that you can talk about Jesus if you like, you just cannot say he's in charge anymore. That's a spiritual thing. And so how do we deal with the real struggle? Whatever I do, doing more is not going to make a figure difference. Don't you think? More struggle? I don't think so. You see, to be honest, I'm at this point where I'm kind of fed up with my mamby-pamby, lukewarm, half-hearted, egocentric, self-centered, flimsy, whimsy kind of walk with Jesus. I've had enough of that. See, why if Jesus is a healer, have we not seen anybody healed? You allowed to ask that question? They never covered that in Bible school. You allowed to ask that question? You see, don't get me wrong, through prayer ministry in this church, God's healing people on the inside every week, and it's a fantastic untold story. But I was thinking of some physical stuff. 
Jesus revealed himself as a healer, and we haven't seen many people healed. He revealed himself as a saviour, and to be perfectly honest, we haven't seen many people saved. We talk about him being the king who rules and reigns with all power and authority. Where's his kingdom? And something inside me is more restless than it's ever been. That if this is the Jesus that we know and love, and I know enough about God, and I've seen enough of God at work in my own life, to know there's way more than this for us, isn't there? Way more. Way, way, way more. Why are we not leaping out of our pews this morning? That Jesus has forgiven everything that's sinful in us. That he's guaranteed a life with him forever where we'll rule and reign, where the cross has done it all. Why aren't we shouting and screaming about that? Why are we not lying prostrate on the floor, weeping because people all around us are facing a lost eternity? And you're thinking, why is Simon totally flipped? And someone else is thinking, well, it would have happened one day. Here it is. This is it. It's all over. I've gone deranged. But why is it? I tell you, someone said something to me a few weeks ago, and I didn't know what to say. And I just say this just to be real. Someone who knows our church, who who passionately has had their lives changed by Jesus. They said of our church, they said, why is no one excited about Jesus? And I didn't know what to say. Because I was had. We were had. And I know we joke about it. You know, you're English and stuff. And so you don't say amen or hallelujah or show any emotion whatsoever. I know that, you know, that, I know, I know that's kind of how we laugh and joke about it. But, 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 but suddenly in my spirit this week, it became kind of more serious. So uh, I know I mess around with that. But just to be serious for a moment, either we are so excited about Jesus in our spirits, but our lives are so compartmentalized that that excitement never touches our emotions, our facial expression, our, our songs and our actions. Or, we're not that excited about Jesus, really. Oh, thanks, D. Yay. But do you know what I mean? There's a loosening up, isn't there, about, about joining our lives up? Does anyone understand what I'm saying? And I'm talking about me too, yeah, because I'm not, you know, I wasn't brought up to be, I mean, you're going to think this is a laugh, I wasn't brought up to be an emotional person at all. You know, emotions were well dangerous. Still are. So, but, but what does it mean for Jesus to be, to be so at work in my life that, that it affects everything and I, I can't stop it? So when someone's talking about Jesus dying on a cross, I can't just sit there anymore. Now, it's not a criticism at all, because I, I, I respond like you, we're sitting where you are too. But it's a challenge for every one of us, don't you think? Oh, Jesus, work in me. And so can you see why I'm kind of this, that there's this new burning to learn to pray. So the disciples, they saw Jesus praying and say, wow, everything about this guy comes from those moments. And I tell you, learning to pray is way harder than anything else I do. Can I be honest about that? I mean, they'll fire me. That's the worst that can happen, really, isn't it? Do you know? Praying is well hard. I would do more meetings, I'd do more preaching, I'd do more pastoral stuff, I'd do more counselling, I'd do more admin. Dead easy than praying. 
Do you know? Sit down to pray for an hour with Jesus. I think my watch has stopped. Oh God, help me. Help me. Help us. Help us. No idea where I am here. It doesn't seem to matter, does it? Oh, here we go. This is what I'm on about. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You've heard me talk about this metaphor before. The image of the language is about a a baby being rocked to sleep. The devil's clever enough. If he was really kind of obvious, then we'd say, no, we won't stand for that. Way more subtle. It's just gently rocking us to sleep. One of our children, we used to go, shh. And they'd close their eyes and they'd go to sleep. When they got a bit older and you said, shh, don't say shh. (laughs) Because they knew what would happen. It's time for us to say to every dark power, don't say shh anymore in my life. I've had enough of it, to be honest. Enough of talking stuff and living somewhere below the stuff that we read in God's Word. Don't say, shh, in the name of Jesus. I'm not being rocked to sleep. Which is why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus where where that verse about the the struggle being, and it was a, a, a letter that was going to be sent around all the churches, and he said to this church, what you've got to understand is you might be in Christ, but you've got to wake up. You've got to wake up. And sometimes I wonder whether all this busyness, even of church stuff, is just the devil gently rocking us to sleep, keeping us busy with our rotors and our meetings and our this and our that and our sorting out and our whatever it might be. So to wake up. What might it mean for God to wake us up? And more important for me as a person, what does it mean for God to wake me up? And in a sense we're together in this but we're on our own. Only you can make that decision in your spirit you want God to wake you up in a new way. Nobody else can wake you up. Been rocked back and forth. And I wonder sometimes whether we, we kind of go through our Christian lives in that state of drowsiness. Do you know when you wake up in the morning? I'm not quite sure everything is. And you can do the first few things in the morning because they're what you always do. Dressing gown. You know, kettle, coffee. But if someone rings you up and says, what's the state of the economy? You'll go, you're useless for most things. Just those, are we just doing the same familiar things that we can do whether we're half asleep or not? Question? Do I minister just out of this drowsiness because I can do the stuff because that's what I do, but I could do it asleep almost? Do you, sometimes, do you, do you sit here on a Sunday morning, half asleep, because you know what's going to happen next? No real surprises? 
done it this way for 160 years here. You see what I mean? Am I doing your head in now? Kind of doing my own head in in a sort of way. Do you know? I love you guys, you know that? This is because I want so much for us. There's so much more God wants for us. Every now and again, I just get a little glimpse. He said, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. If you want to learn how to pray, if you thought this morning was about learning how to pray, which was fair enough from the title, there's a whole sermon series on prayer we did a couple of years ago. You can get more information than you know what to do with. It can come out your ears, information about prayer. It doesn't make you a prayer, though. What you'll need is, alongside the information, and I guess all of us here have got more information than we actually need. What you'll need is some imitation to go alongside the information. Who are you going to start praying with? Someone who's, who's just a little bit further than you, can pull you along. Who are you going to get alongside with and be real and open and say, oh, we've got to learn to pray like never before. You know, if you want all the stuff, go on the website. And you can spend, I don't know, there's 15 hours of teaching probably. Go, go with, I mean, spend the 15 hours praying instead of doing that, yeah? Do you know what I mean? Because in the end, in the end, we've got to break through at a new spiritual level. And, and I tell you, if you could break through by learning more about prayer, I would have done that years ago. I don't mean to be funny. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be paid to study sometimes, you know? So I, I can study about prayer. I, I know about prayer. I understand it intellectually. It does not make me a prayer. But start spending that time in God's presence saying, God, I, I don't know how to do this. There's stuff in my life that gets in the way of you doing what you want to do in me. I want to learn with you to pray. When you teach a kid to talk to their parents, you do not give them a manual on how the vocal cords work. You don't do that. You start listening to what the Father is saying and tuning in. God, is that, is that you? Am I hearing you? You start leaning into what God might be saying to you. And, and to be honest, you'll need other people around you sometimes to help you and say, that sounds like what God's saying to you. Test it. And, and, and beginning to understand what the Father is saying. Because that's the brilliant thing. First thing Jesus said to his disciples, he said, this is what you've got to understand and everything else comes from this. When you pray, say, Father, Father. I've got to learn as a child to listen to my father. As a child, you've got to do more listening than speaking to grow, haven't you? As a child, I've got to learn to listen to my father. And I've got to learn to talk to him, to be honest with him, to be open with him, to welcome him in the deepest parts of my life. I'm kind of done, to be honest. But that's it. So much more. And everything will stop you, honest, getting decent time alone with God. Everything. You know, you want to see the powers of darkness at work, start saying you're going to pray. And everything will stop you from that moment. And in that moment, everything will distract you. You'll have thoughts and ideas you you didn't know were in you. And it will rob you 
Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray. To live in communion with you so that I live your rhythm. I find myself doing less and achieving more. I find myself with a timely word, with an anointed touch, with a verse for someone that's just in season. I discover that one word from you can change someone's life. Jesus, come fill us, we pray. Come fill us, Lord. Jesus.